everyone. Welcome to Cosmere and Coffee. We are here to talk about Tress of the Emerald Sea, which is secret project number one. And we're going to be doing spoilers for um, Tress, spoilers for the rest of the Cosmere. I actually have a point I want to make about uh, Skyward, so uh, maybe even spoilers over there too. So uh, Ooh, interesting. Approach at your own risk. Um, <laughs> please read the book before listening to this. It's a pretty good book. You should read it. Um, and I'm joined here with uh, my brother, Mike, and my good friend, Nick. Hello. Hello. Hold on. Let me uh, put my phone on mute so it doesn't buzz away and ruin my recording. Pro podcasting here at yeah. Cosmere and Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is after I fucked up the name of the title once already. <laughs> <laughs> We're just doing real good over here. I do uh, have coffee today, by the way. I have yeah, coffee, too. too. Whoa, wow, we got Hell a clean yeah. sweep. It took us three episodes to do it. <laughs> That's one episode per coffee. We're yeah, uh, yeah. we're gonna no, have four coffees next week. What are we, <laughs> oh, no. what are we doing? <laughs> well, actually technically I do have like a little like decanter over here with two cups worth of coffee. So All right, there you go. Uh, we're actually on more of an exponential curve. This this <laughs> does not bode well for the universe. It really doesn't. Um <laughs> I am enjoying a very nice single origin from Colombia over here. It's really tasty. Nice. Nice. I think mine is actually pretty good coffee, also single origin, but then I just brewed it in a kind of crappy coffee machine, so that's okay. I don't feel that good about it. Mine was a real snobby pour over I made for myself. It still tastes good, though, man. Uh, mine was also a snobby pour over that Ooh. was almost certainly from the same place that your coffee's from, Tom. <laughs> Uh, no, mine is actually from Phoenix Coffee. Oh, see, I'm, I'm, to go into mine's more. Troubadour. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I actually don't have any Troubadour in the house right now. I only have Ready, Set, and Phoenix. Everyone's getting to learn a lot about the Cleveland coffee scene. Right. right. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, if you hear me slurping coffee, that's why. Um, but yeah, let's so let's, let's like launch in with just kind of general reactions to Tress and the Emerald Sea. Um I'm going to put Mike on the spot, I guess. Mike, what do you think? I thought it was really fun. Um, probably, uh, well, now I'm kind of going through a list in my head. I think I'm going to commit. I'm going to say it's probably my favorite standalone Cosmere novel oh, okay. at this Ooh. point. Wow. Um, just just because, like, well, it's obviously, like, such a new tone. I love, um, like, Wit's voice here. Okay. Um, just getting like an entire novel of, of or Hoyd's voice um, was just like really great for me. And I like the characters. It's, you know, it's like a, it's a very it's not as like serious as like reading Stormlight Archive or something. Just like definitely does have that princess bride kind of pseudo fairy yeah, tale thing going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I just thought it was it was just a ton of fun. Um I, I read most of it on my way back from our family trip to visit people in Arkansas. Um, so it was just a good way to spend a road trip. Uh, That's fair. Can't complain about a thing, really. Nick, what were your sort of initial reactions? Yeah. Um, I mean, not to be a broken record, uh, <laughs> parroting what Mike said, but uh, it was it was a ton of fun. Are uh, you telling me? Wait, are you telling me that three fans of Brandon Sanderson <laughs> like liked a Brandon, Brandon Sanderson, Sanderson book? book. 
<laughs> what a hot take. Who would have thought? What the fuck, guys? Come on, be fucking original for once. Tell me. No, uh, okay, okay. So you yeah. like, yeah. I did. Uh, it was good. No, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, the lot more lighthearted tone um, was definitely uh, uh, a nice, like, contrast in a good way from, like, a lot of the other stuff in the Cosmere. But there was still lots of juicy Cosmere connections in there. For sure. Um, uh, to the point that Hoyt even makes fun of us for it. <laughs> Uh, which made <laughs> yeah. me laugh. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, he gives a little digging at us. Yeah, <laughs> but there were a few different, like slightly fourth wall breaking bits here and there, yeah. which, which I enjoyed. Yeah, it Hoyt was fun. Is, Hoyt is a little genre savvy, I think. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. So obviously, I enjoyed it a lot too. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. It was definitely it, it was interesting to me because it, it's a book that um, what I realized when I was done was like I did super enjoy it. And but I don't know how much this says about like me that I'm not sure how much I would have enjoyed it if it wasn't from an author that I already you know, like really like and trust. Mm, if that makes ooh. sense. Interesting. Like, I'm not sure if you handed me this book and just said, here's like a book by some guy that I think you'd like. I don't know that I actually well, no, I think I would get through it because actually the first part really did hook me. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that like I don't think it's like actually my favorite stuff, but just like I could feel how much fun Brandon was having. And I feel like I have that like <laughs> parasocial relationship where it just like doesn't even matter if it's like not really a story for me. Yeah. It's like, no, I get I'm just it. like, yeah. I'm just happy you're having a good time, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's fair, um, and it kind of leads into um, your next question. Well, I don't know about your next question, but a question you put in the outline here, whether it's a good first Cosmere novel. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That seemed like an interesting framing device to me to talk yeah, about that kind I think of thing. So, too. so I'm curious yeah. if either of you guys have thoughts on that. Like, would this be like a good first Cosmere novel or a bad first Cosmere novel? Um, I think it depends on what like introducing somebody to the Cosmere. If you're, if you're actually intending to like, here's the Cosmere in its entirety, start with this book. I think it's not the best place to start, mm -hmm. but if, if this is a book that aligns with somebody like a genre that someone's already interested in, I think then this would be like, maybe a good way to like, you know, give them a taste of the Cosmere and then use that as a jumping off point. If that makes yeah. sense. Like, I think if your goal is to like just your average person, like get into the Cosmere, I would not start with this book. Um, I think I think it's because and I mean, it's like you could. There's nothing like wrong with it. Um, it's not any worse of a place to start than any of the other like first books in the series or standalone books. Uh, but I think it's just a, a book that you would appreciate more if you had. Um, some of the rest of the context of the Cosmere. Yeah. I So I'm going to put my own thought here, which, like, like, I, like, my weird take would be it's a bad first Cosmere novel, but maybe it could be a good first Brandon Sanderson novel. Yeah, um, I could see that. Because I think that Brandon Sanderson, sort of his reputation is he, like, creates... Well, like, number one, the Cosmere has a sort of I think reputation for being a little bit impenetrable the same way like any large universe gets. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. And, and then also Brandon has that very kind of like magic systems, 
deep, complicated lore sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think I could imagine at least would be if there's someone who's kind of like would like what Brandon Sanderson has to offer, but is kind of intimidated about a lot of it. This book might be a good way to kind of like show them like, OK, like you don't have to be like the biggest lore nerd on the planet to enjoy mm-hmm his writing like he's just like having a good time writing about this stuff yeah and it's sort of like infectious amounts of fun here Um, yeah yeah so it's like if someone's like intimidated but would maybe like it this would be an interesting point to be like okay like he's not like this unapproachable like guy spinning out deep lore that only the true fans can understand like he's just having fun Mm -hmm. and like you can just kind of have fun with him and it's fine just to go along but at the same time like it's a terrible first Cosmere novel because it is like dense with references to Cosmere stuff, like not to the extent of the lost metal, but way denser than a lot of his work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it might be a second place to the lost metal. Yeah. There's now. a lot of stuff here, like, but mm-hmm. none of us explained at all. <laughs> right. It's that's, just sort that's of the thing. Yeah. At well, you one thing after another, but that sort what, of works for this story. Right. And, um, I, I actually think if, like someone reading this book that wasn't aware of all the connections. I actually don't know if those unexplained things would really take away from the story. Cause I yeah. think it just like devoid of context just adds to the kind of fantastical elements that this story yeah. already revels in. So yeah. I, I, I think probably part of, I think this is probably intentional on Sanderson's part because, well, he definitely did view this Kickstarter as a way to expand his audience, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it so morphed th- that direction more as it got so big. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but I, I have to, I, I feel like what he's trying to do is, uh, with with this particular novel, is he wrote, like he always does, hard magic. Yeah. Um, but I think to a new reader, it would just, it would feel, feel like, like a soft, soft magic, magic system. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, you know, he doesn't really explain how anything is working. Like, you know, we don't, you know, Hoyd becomes an Elantrian, but that doesn't mean anything. And and what Hoyd says to Tress when she asks mm-hmm. what he is, he's like, I'm a sorcerer. That's close enough. And I feel like yeah. that's speaking to Tress, but also speaking to a new to the audience. Like, it does, yeah, it doesn't matter. You don't have to care about this. Yeah. I do think and that's that... Good. Sorry, no, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say that I, I think the part of it that felt to me like the least accessible was like the weird injection of sci-fi elements with the sorceress. Mm, They're like clearly yeah. out of genre. Y- yeah, that's true. Like yeah, that's something that like makes sense if you're a Cosmere nerd, but might be like really jarring. Honestly, it was jarring even as a Cosmere nerd. Yeah, it was nerd. jarring for me too. <laughs> yeah. I had to like yeah. kind of recalibrate my brain for a second. Um. Yeah, like and like little things like kind of hinted in that direction, um, like uh, um, like Fort's board, Fort's board. Yeah, like and they'll, 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 they'll like, just call it a sounds, laptop later. Like that sounds like an iPad, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, this awakened predictive circuits. Yeah. Were <laughs> you paying attention? <laughs> That sounds like an iPad with extra steps. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although, in interesting contrast, I thought um, Zesis, Zesis, the dragon. Yeah, um, it's pronounced Zesis according to the audio book. Zesis in the, in the audiobook. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I actually, I thought I had supported a level to get the audiobook, but I guess I only did the ebook and the hardcover. So I'll probably pick up the audiobook for a re-listen at some point. Um, but okay, Zesis, I guess. Um. Like, that was presented in a way that I think is, like, very 
feels tonally appropriate to the story. Like the idea of this sort of like dragon at the bottom of the ocean doing like weird library stuff feels very Mm. appropriate to the kind of like early modern vibes we get from the rest of the story. Like it's kind of like weird enlightenment, like librarian dragon is like a cool, a cool fit to the tone and doesn't feel jarring. And mm-hmm. I really, really liked that sequence. I think that it's perfect. This is like our first like on-screen dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Every really story's cool. better with dragons. Yeah. <laughs> and one of my favorite art pieces, um, which I don't know if, if oh, you guys yeah. were listening, if you guys saw the art pieces. No, I, I was I, I was did. reading the uh like the digital copy. Oh, I okay. Got. Oh, okay. Oh, was it um, were you just having making Z drive while you read it? <laughs> yeah, essentially. I mean we you know, we traded off, but oh, okay, uh, okay. but yeah, I was I was reading when she was driving. Um I, I was able to see the artwork uh in the companion PDF. Uh and okay. I also skimmed through the um the, the PDF of the ebook as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that that art piece with the dragon I really, really liked. That was so cool. Yeah, very cool. And like um Crow and Tress like standing sort of like pointing at each other. Yeah. Like, I really yeah, like that. That, that, was, that was, was a lot good. of fun. No, to yeah. her. That whole scene was just <laughs> yeah, so fun. So yeah, good. that was great. Yeah. Um, Even the bit, I, I loved, like, the 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 kind of Cosmere-wide lore that I, I'd kind of, like, guessed at something like this, but just to put it on paper, that dragons have intentionally, like, introduced themselves to, yeah. like, the, the foundations of various societies just to, like, get themselves in the lore of, of these different peoples. I thought that was, like, just a cool bit to put in there. Yeah, very, like, Benny Gesserit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, what do they call it from Dune? There's the... Uh, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I was like, like okay, <laughs> they're just doing that. Cool. And I would say, like, the, the artwork throughout was awesome. So cool. It was so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of, uh, you know, like, with these four secret projects, just, like, picking four artists and telling them to do their thing like that's that's just like a really cool way to approach this type of project yeah and what i can say that i think really speaks well to the artwork is that when i was reading um so i'm not like a super visual person in general so something that happens often when i read is i kind of lose track of the visuals almost Mm -hmm. and sort of like replace them with like like the only way i can describe is like in my mind's eye it's like it's almost like I end up replacing like the actual visuals with like bad shimmed out placeholder art as I like <laughs> yeah, rush through I the story. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing. Actually. Developer and art. <laughs> what's that? Developer art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. It's like yeah, it's exactly what happens. Like replace like all the three D models with like bad developer art just to like get through the story because it's just like I don't know. There's like extra cognitive load and actually imagining it. And like uh-huh. when I'm trying to race through the story, I just like drop that. But mm-hmm. every time I hit one of these art pieces, it like held me up long enough and forced me to, like actually imagine the scene i'm like oh damn Dang. this looks really cool doesn't yeah. it yeah <laughs> i will say this i am a incredibly visual person and a lot of the times when i'm reading i'm visioning the scene um almost as if i'm watching a movie yeah um and uh i will say this about the artwork almost exactly what i was picturing like before i got oh, okay. to the art piece like i got to the art piece and i'm like well yeah that's it you know, so it's like that. That's just a testament to how good the art was that it yeah. kind of like captured exactly what was on the page to the point that me just envisioning it from the words on the page or the audiobook in this case uh, and then got to the art. I'm like, yeah, 100 percent. No notes. <laughs> that's fair. That is interesting because for me, it was so different. And yet 
mm -hmm. was much better than what I've been imagining. Whereas very often artwork in books will be like, will, will almost like pull me out or like be like, oh, that's not how I was imagining it at all. I don't like that as much as what I already had. Right. But here it really felt like every single art piece was like, hey, stop. This is what it would look like. And I was like, Damn, that is what it would look like. <laughs> yeah. Damn, you're right. <laughs> it's funny, like how close all of that mirrors my experience. It's it's almost like we're we're it's brothers. Like we're brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad oh, to be here to be the point of contrast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, you had already brought up Hoyd's narrative voice, but I put that in my uh, little outline here. Um. How do we like having this narrated by Hoyd? I thought it was I fun. Thought it was so fun. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was cool. It was the weirdest was when it like had to flip between like third and first person because yes. Boyd yeah. was in the story, but not mm -hmm. the point of view, which was a very right. I had to like kind of double take and reread a few times just because I'm so used to parsing point of view differently than it was here. Um, yeah, I, I had that a little bit, but I didn't think it didn't like pull me out. Okay. Enough for it to be a problem. Personally. Yeah, me neither. Like, I'm glad that Brandon just knuckled down and did it that way because it would have been yeah. actually, well, it made it a really interesting style tick because mm -hmm. it would have been easy to just like have Hoyd put himself in the third person mm -hmm. and then hint that it's him, but having mm -hmm. him just like slam himself in through the first person gives it I more like of that, that yeah. like you're just listening yeah. to Hoyd like chat about it like in a pub or something. And there, there are a couple spots even where he switches to second person. Like he, he says you something. He does. And it's, when he's it's talking made me to, curious. The, to the reader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I, so we have confirmation that he, I, I think we have confirmation in some blob way back that we, we are we familiar with the, the person who's. Do, yeah. do we know specifically? No, we don't know specifically, but he said that oh, we, okay. Okay. we like, we don't know who we're it familiar is, with but that we're character. familiar with that character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. we don't know which character, but it's someone that we know. Mm -hmm. Should we speculate wildly on that? I, for a while? I did Absolutely. add that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I added, that was one of my contributions to our okay. discussion Very points cool. here. Oh, uh, I don't even see it. Yeah, it's I down under it. Hoyt, I think. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yep, there it is. Okay. <laughs> um, um, doesn't he mention something about Yakved or Vedin or something? I don't know, but Early I don't. Early on? Um, I'm not sure. I missed that. See, but the, the thing is, is that, and this could also be like, if Hoyt is talking to somebody from Roshar, Hoyt references a lot of animals that do not exist on Roshar. <laughs> like, that is true. You know, so like when it happened more than once and that made me kind of like in my mind eliminate Roshar as like the the planet of yeah. the person he's talking to. Um, but we do know that that planet has like oceans and like sailing and stuff like in the conventional sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure uh, I I'm blanking on a specific example but i also got the impression that um the like i i think he references a uh like a technology that's like a modern technology yeah he he does a couple times and i and i don't remember exactly what that was or or when it happened um but i remember thinking like oh okay whoever he's talking to knows like what a car is i think that might have been one oh, of the wow. examples yeah huh. I miss so that. Like to me, that thinks that that makes me think that whoever he's talking to is from Scadriel. Interesting. That would I, make see, a lot I went of. A, I went a super different direction. 
Um, and I'm trying to remember what my clues are. So, like, the one clue is that he mentions AVR um, ah. to the audience. And, and my best, my very speculative guess is actually Sixth of the Dusk um, oh. that he's talking to. Because, like, they mm-hmm. like, definitely, like, familiar with a lot of the nautical stuff. Um, yeah. And then that mention of AVR felt to me like it was directly to the audience that Hoyd was speaking to. Mm-hmm. And, like, okay. definitely made it seem like the audience was familiar with AVR. Yeah. I will say that the impression that I got is definitely he was addressing it to someone who is a semi-experienced world hopper themselves. Yeah. Probably. That that also can be true, which means that these little references to the to like specific are worlds meaningful. are yeah less yeah you know those six less dusk is a very interesting possibility because uh-huh. we know he went into the uh, the um, spiritual not spiritual cognitive realm that's true um, yeah from the uh, the reading um, he did um, right. the audience might not be familiar with that even a little bit but he did a reading for like a six of the dusk sequel that sets up that um six is going to go into the cognitive realm and go on an adventure yep Mm -hmm. yeah um this might be a good uh segue into when we think this uh like the story takes place Mm -hmm. and i added the addendum because it is different when is the story being told oh true yeah because those aren't those don't necessarily need to be the same yeah yeah i definitely feel like it is pretty late Cosmere. They got laptops. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And Elantrian has a laptop and a spaceship and stuff. So like it. Right. So like at, at least Mistborn era three, if not Mistborn era four, or slash six yeah. of the dusk era. If yeah. I had to like just guess, it would be between eras three and four of Mistborn. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty, uh, pretty safe bet. Um, and then obviously, uh, the story is being told later than that. Um, yeah, I definitely feel, and this is just purely vibes that I don't think is being told that far after it happened. Um, yeah. Like more like probably decades than like multiple centuries. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. And I like, I don't know why, like when, when I started the book, I was almost under like the assumption that the story was being told much later than it took place. Um, and then as the book went on, uh, I, you know, it seemed more, more the case that it was a more recent yeah. story, you know, yeah. more, more yeah. recent events. My, my assumption at the beginning of the book, before we'd seen all the, the future tech stuff was that it was actually like the story was taking place, like pretty deep in the history of the Cosmere. That was my first assumption as well. Yeah. But so as we get the more tech, like it sort of compresses the timeline further and further into yeah. like, it can't be yeah. that far behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about like a kind of thematic, just like, like, well, okay, I'll, I'll get into it and explain what I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. which is I did feel there was a bit of a rug pull aspect to the story where hmm. and this is something that like because i've like seen some of brandon's like talking about storytelling he talks about the idea of like promises and payoffs mm-hmm. and it does feel to me like the setup for the story 
promises well it, it, it's not totally fair to say this but like, like to me the tone of the first chunk of the story is really different from what we get to and i think specifically it's i was not expecting us to like settle in on this pirate ship for a long time and for that to be the story Hmm. like i was i kept expecting us to move on from the ship and it took me a while to be like oh i guess this is just like the story that we're right. like gonna get to know these people and care about them because i was like kind of in the mode of like waiting for trust to like go to the next adventure because i thought we were doing kind of like episodic adventure with like a new set okay. like new people each time and it took me a while to like stop expecting her to like move on to the next place Right. And um, it made it tougher for me to, like, invest in the characters because I was a little bit, like, waiting for it to move on. I, I could see that. I, I definitely, like, felt that a little bit early on. Um, but then I think I quickly shook that uh, because one of the um, one of the things that I, like, became more like because we we knew going into this that this the story was, like, partially inspired by the Princess Bride, specifically, yeah. like, Princess Bride, if, like, buttercup was the main character and had actual <laughs> yes, agency yeah. and and that so like brandon has been upfront about that so mm-hmm. um once we got to the pirate ship um and just thinking about the princess bride and like if like and how that story goes i'm like actually i think this is where we're going where like okay. i don't like the minute we got to the pirate ship i'm like tress is being going to become the captain of the ship like <laughs> uh, using princess yeah, bride as a template you know, like, oh, I thought that was very obvious. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. It's been a long time since I read, or I don't think I ever read, but I have seen the movie. Yeah, I've it's never been too read long it, since but I've I saw seen the movie, movie, so I didn't catch mm-hmm. the reference there. I will say that I, I had a similar experience to you, Tom, um, but it, it actually worked out really well for me. Okay. Because I felt like I kind of had a realization at the same time that Tress made the decision to stay uh, on the pirate ship because okay. like oh, yeah. up until that point like you know she was she had her escape lined up um and it was like at, at that point i was like all right we're moving on to the next adventure but then like i almost got to like decide along with tress that she okay. was no i'm staying with this crew because it's the right thing to do okay. um and and that just like really worked for me in a narrative sense okay yeah i think it never quite worked as well for me um I, I had a hard time getting invested in, like, the crew. Mm, um, okay. I'm not sure why. And, and maybe it's something that, like, on, like, a re-read, I'll know it's coming and, like, handle more better. Yeah. Those were words I could say. Handle more better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Well, and that's actually, so I mentioned at the top that I wanted to get into, like, a few Skyward things. Yeah. And actually, that aspect specifically really reminded me of, like a lot of the skyward story structure he's done across those books. Um, I, I think I can see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like each new book, like has Spencer like going into like some space and like forging a team out of this like band of misfits. Yeah. Um, and it actually made me think to realize that I think there are like certain like story beats that Brandon has a tendency to kind of like go back to over and over. And I think that to me, this story really canonized that like, the you know team of like misfits gets forged into like something real and like discovers the true meaning of friendship ought to be understood (laughs) as kind of like a core like brandon storytelling tick that he's gonna like yeah kind of come back to a lot Uh um i think like the the truly canonical version of that is like bridge four right that's one where he like does it 
with so much time spent on it that it, like sort of elevates to something higher than the other versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see him kind of come back to that, and he definitely does that here, where it's like, yeah, you know, quirky, fun characters with like different like mm-hmm. goofball things. Kelsey's like, dress... team in Mistborn is kind of that too. Yeah, honestly, yeah. If mm-hmm. you like dig into it, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting thing to see, and for me, it's really like canonized in my head this is just like a thing that brandon likes to do is have like a team of quirky characters with little oddball traits that like some charismatic leader will sort of like forge into a true team Uh uh-huh yeah i do have to say and this is uh this is self-indulgent but uh reading this book and uh getting the the characters of the like getting to meet the characters of the um of the ship and all of that. Uh, it was very fun because like on tales of the void fair, I've created yeah. a cast of NPCs <laughs> that are all quirky in their own way on yeah. this space. Pirate <laughs> very, ship. very similar vibes. Um, yeah. That's my obligatory plug for our, uh, homebrew spell jammer D and D podcast. Go listen yeah. to tales of the void fair. Yeah. Honestly, if you like the stuff with the crew here, like that show is going to be your jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now back to our, uh, regularly, regularly <laughs> scheduled programming. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Where do we want to go from there? Do you want to do Aether Talk? Sure. We could, we could do that. Yeah. Let's do Aether Talk. So I had like put down in the notes here, all the different types enumerated, which Mm -hmm. I also looked at the copper mine to make sure I wasn't missing any. Um, but we get Verdant, which are like the, the vines and stuff. Yep. Crimson, which are like the weird spiky things. Mm -hmm. Midnight, which is weird. Goopy boys. Yeah, goopy boys. <laughs> um, and also definitely, obviously connected to Midnight Essence and Ratio Fear and yeah. all that. Um, Zephyr, which is air. Rosite, which is like stone, kind of, sort of. Crystal. Sorta? Crystal, yeah, like crystal yeah. sort of thing. Well, it's it's uh, what Twin Soul uses in The Lost yeah. Metal. Yeah. Um, sunlight, which I guess is like light and heat. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kind of reference to a secret 13th of, like, the bone. The bones, but, um, but they But it's intentionally left vague if that's a real thing or not. I have thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, hit it. So, um, obviously, we know uh, Aethers um, do not originate on Lumar. Yeah. Um, we're told that explicitly. So, my thought is, is that bone spores do exist, but they're not one of the 12 that are here. Like, oh, like there's there's 12 moons and they dump their spores onto the onto the planet. Um, and like we know Aethers exist elsewhere. There stands to reason there are, can be more types of Aethers that are just not on Lumar. So like the like the rumor of bone spores being a thing that exists could be something that people on this planet have learned about mm. through like world hoppers and like maybe even world hoppers have brought bone spores here on like some rare occasions. Um, but they don't originate like since no aether originates here. They're just not spores not that here. are here. Yeah. Natively. Now, the thing is that my impression is that the spores are probably like a Lumar specific thing because I don't think the Aether is usually manifest. Oh, in they the don't. Spore okay, way. I gotcha. I gotcha. At least that's. I mean, we don't know. Like, right. I, I don't want to sound overconfident on that. It's just that was like my sort of vibe. Is the spores are kind of the unique thing here, and the Aethers mm. are what are like shared. Interesting. Okay, I see. That, I think I'm on the same page as you there. Okay. Yeah. And, and for the audience, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's not, <laughs> not really based on anything but vibes. 
Yeah. yeah. No, I think that makes sense now that you say it. Um, like the because like it's talked about how like the the manifestation of the aethers here on Lumar is unique. Is like weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's not the normal like because we see aethers in use. Um, you know, with in Twinsel, the lost metal. Yeah, in the lost metal. Exactly, yeah, and there are no spores involved with that yeah. that we that we can tell. Yeah, and. I had like a vague thought that maybe because um, we know that Twin Soul, there's like a thing going on where he couldn't return to his home planet because of like some extermination or something. And like a reference mm-hmm. to like a dark Aether, um, mm-hmm. which, man, I have read Aether of Night. It's been a long time at this point and I forget exactly what happens. And it's questionable how much of it is. Well, canon. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's but. I do think that was like mm-hmm. part of the story was the idea of like a sort of like unknown new Aether sort of like appears and is like causing problems and stuff. Mm-hmm. So part of me expects that's like being brought into the scene in like probably a much yeah. more interesting, deeper way. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably right. I think we're I think it's foreshadowing for mm-hmm. yeah. more stuff involving a mysterious bone Aether. Which is yeah. essentially the same thing Nick's saying, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Is that I wonder if, like, the bone spores are related to, like, a sort of, like, dangerous 13th new Aether that's, like, recently yeah. manifested or something, even on, like, the Aether homeworld. as like, yeah. a new yeah. and dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible that new could mean millennia old at this point. But, but yeah, I think uh, that seems like a pretty likely direction. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have... um. Uh, since we're since we're talking about, uh, I, I guess connections to like the Aethers and talking about Twin Soul and the Lost Metal, um, I wonder if Twin Soul has something to do. Like, obviously, his use of Aethers is not the spore based kind, but it makes me wonder if the Ghost Bloods in Twin Soul um, and uh, Shay uh, had been to Lumar because Shay uses mm. the curse moons. Uh, which I thought was weird in the Lost Metal, and now we know where that yeah. comes from, because okay. that's a curse from Lumar. It's a curse from huh. Lumar. I didn't even think about that. So it Is, makes me what, wonder if, like, sense? maybe the Ghost Bloods had like some operations on Lumar at some point. Yeah, it certainly seems that Lumar is pretty open to all sorts of world hopping. Yeah, like, yeah. It seems like people come through here constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because we know I'm we know that Shay's from if- Cell. So like yeah, of course, yeah. She would Does natively Cell have use. That's moons. what I'm trying. I don't to think Cell has a moon. Okay, okay, that's what I was. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly have no idea. Well, yeah. now I might I'm just cover myself. myself. I don't. Cell moon. <laughs> There's uh, something called Cell Moon jewelry. Okay. Good job. You should read read about that, Tom. Read about just that. Out loud, yeah, please. tell us about that. <laughs> well, there's a box of hearts charm for $37.08. There's a hummingbird charm for $36.65. Okay, so I, I did find something. Here. Okay. Uh, according to the Copper Mind, um, Cell has exactly one moon uh, oh, named okay. Ohm, or OM, maybe. Um, but oh, yeah, that's like would, an uh, Aonic name. It's O E M, however you pronounce that. O E M? Is that an AO? Is that anything? I don't really know. <laughs> but anyway, I think that confirms Nick's suspicion that there's something odd there. Um, yeah. Because if if Shay pluralized moons, then yeah. That's mm-hmm. a weird one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that stuck out like a sore thumb when I was reading The Lost Metal, because uh, I don't think at the time like we had identified who Shay like who Moonlight is, and also her yeah. code name is Moonlight. Is Moonlight? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, um, so yeah, now given that we know who she is and that she's from Cell, it's interesting. That's a that's yeah. an interesting. That is interesting. That, yeah. that implies something about like the timeline of her history from like leaving leaving Cell, becoming a world hopper, potentially yeah. her time working for the Ghost Bloods. Like, you know, did she spend a bunch of time on Lumar? You yeah. know what's going on there? Or being Shay, she could have done something insane like uh, just graft some Lumar spirit web yeah. to hers. <laughs> she just Stamped like wanted herself, to be a sprouter yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Which that's the other thing I was going to bring up for world hopping is like these spores do feel like something basically anyone off world would love to get their hands on. Yeah, they're valuable. Like these are incredibly powerful. Um, Obviously on the planet, they're seen as a real pain in the ass because they kind of are. But like if you're like an off worlder who's looking for like a really useful weapon or tool, like these are kind of basically aether on command. Just add water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and which is essentially it means it's like investiture on command. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Could, and yeah. that's huge. Yeah, yeah, there's an insane amount of stuff you could do with this. Um, I, I do have to say, I do like actually in like a morbid, twisted way, kind of love uh, like how dangerous like verdant spores are. Like all the spores, really, but like yeah. the way verdant spores in particular oh, are described. Yeah. No, there's a weird body horror thing there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and like for this like kind of like more lighthearted fairy tale uh, type story, um, it actually like hit on like almost like Brothers Grimm levels of like twisted yeah. fantasy. Yeah. Uh, like and just honestly, the description of like the vines like working their way into your sinuses and like ooh, distending yeah. your teeth and popping your eyes out and all mm-hmm. that. Like oh, it's yeah, cool. Fucked up. <laughs> Why do you have to put it like and that? Like Gross the, the, and cool. <laughs> the death we see of um, one of the Dugs to the the crimson spikes. Yeah, like, that is Ooh. that is also like pretty gruesome. Just like yeah. speared dozens of different ways through with these spikes and just like nailed to the wall of a of the cabin or whatever. Like that's yeah. Wow. It, it 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 like it does strike a sharp contrast with the uh, the tone of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is a very hoid way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, the whole thing of calling them Dugs was felt like a very interesting <laughs> hoidism. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I liked it though. Yeah, and I, I, I had I, weird like, feelings about it. <laughs> you've had weird feelings about it. I liked it. <laughs> okay, for me, it was like, well, I mean, like, I think it reveals a lot about Hoy's character how little he cares about the Dugs. Yeah, like I don't, and not like it doesn't say good things about Hoyt's character. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say this: like when when a Doug became like I think two different occasions, like we do actually get a real name for like two different Dugs as they become important. So it's like I think it was just his way of like saying they're around, but they're not important to the story I'm telling right now. I agree, but. I think that is what he what he's doing, but uh-huh. it still reveals a certain flippancy towards like these actual people with lives and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, which it, notably, Brandon reveals... would never do as a storyteller himself. Yeah. Yes, interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it kind of reveals that like Hoyd is 
Well, it's something about like the way he's categorizing people in his in his mind, you know? Yeah. Like there are some people that matter enough for names and some that just don't. Yeah. Like and it is kind of like a binary switch. Mm-hmm. And and we see a couple of the dogs move to the other line, like you're saying, Nick. Yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not like that hierarchical right. categorization. Yeah. yeah, they just leveled up. They're no longer they're no longer NPCs. They you know they're yeah, now, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and Hoyd very yeah. It, like I said, it, it tells us something about Hoyd's worldview, which uh-huh. in fairness is probably necessary if you've been around for as long as Hoyd. Yeah, is. he's thousands right. and thousands of yeah. years old. But I think that also speaks that like you know you don't get to be that old without like losing a little bit of what makes you a person. Yeah. Well, that got dark. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's talk about moons. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, I, I guess like. I sort of like had to think myself through this earlier today, but I guess the idea is that the moons are all kind of positioned along like the equator or like along like, cause it almost has to be that way. Right. I mean, that's how like geosynchronous orbits work. Um, yeah. But I think there might be fantasy bullshit going on here because the way it's described yeah. is the seas are all uh, pentagons. pentagons. Oh, are they? Which implies yeah. that they fit together like a soccer ball. Yeah, around the surface of the planet. First, but I was just like, that doesn't. I mean, that's not how geosynchronous orbits work. It's Uh, not really how anything works. (laughs) Also, yeah, (laughs) pentagons don't even tile on a globe. I don't think you need hexagons in there. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then I'm not sure exactly. Like, so I mean, there there are also there are land masses. Like, yeah, yeah. They said I'm also not clear on like how the geography of. Because it seems like all we have are like islands, right, in terms of land masses, and it doesn't seem like those huge continents. So uh, why do you have to sail through the crimson to get to the midnight? Like they say, there's a mountain range that yeah restricts access, I think they but it's do hard explicitly to actually get a picture say, of that. Like there are like larger continents on the like the other side of the planet. It's just like like where Tress is from, like the Emerald Sea is just like a bunch of islands, and like you know. Um, if yeah. I recall correctly, like, I think like Hoyt explicitly says like there's larger land masses. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I'm sure, if I'm it sure is it's more of like a line along the equator, it would help explain why it, you have to like pass through one to get to the next and there's no like uh-huh. going around it. But why would the seas all be pentagonal shaped if they're just in yeah, a that's band odd. across the they're planet? They're just in a band. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'd, sure. lo- I'd love I to, to see a map. <laughs> yeah. Brandy, can we have a map of Lumar, please? <laughs> Give us the map, Brandon. <laughs> maybe maybe it's like the Well, yeah. This is this is one one way it could work, which which seems unlikely to me, but like like maybe essentially like the only habitable part of the world is the equator. And then if you yeah. go north or south, um, maybe the seas like it's, drop it's off. Just, Either they drop off, or I was actually thinking it's mountains that are essentially impassable. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Because what if it's like a weird, like, a bunch of pentagons, but just like in a circle around the planet, sort of like yeah. held together by mountains? But and pentagons maybe don't weird... even nest in a line. Well, I'm thinking like almost like end to end, but it's like the mountains form like triangle wedges in oh, between. Oh, wow. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Like, like, like. Yeah. And then it would almost be like the band was created for the purpose of like creating these seas for like and actually then if whatever you, reason, it would be like there'd be two seas in a row that have a long border, and then the next two would have like a restricted point border. If you think about the way pentagons would map in a line, they'd be like point oh, to point, and then yeah. line to line, point to point, edge huh. to edge. 
So maybe maybe like they're in couplets, kind of. Huh. That would be... F- yeah, you're right. It would have to be like that. Unless they go like point to ass each time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that's possible too, actually. Yeah, yeah. Who but, knows? Yeah. I'd like to see a How map. well do we know about like... How good are we at topology to figure out? Yeah. <laughs> how how but, do we how do we tile pentagons across the sphere? Yeah. But it's it you are right, it's like so strange as pentagons. Yeah. yeah like yeah, why weird. would it be pentagons? They don't tile at all. Well, maybe so there's like a here's weird the other like, thing up and is down like, thing. They don't necessarily need to be equilateral no, they don't. True. pentagons. Yeah. They can they be can, they can irregular. Yeah. shapes. And like yeah. they and like the yeah, the the lines can obviously curve because it's on a sphere yeah yeah or it could always be like they join along long edges but then there's a kind of like zigzag to it as it goes around the world or something so but like i want to take a minute here and and reflect on the audience for our podcast for right (laughs) (laughs) because this is a niche podcast to start with right you have to read whatever like a hundred thousand pages Uh before you're allowed to listen to the podcast and now you have to also be interested in pentagons tiling on a sphere yeah (laughs) listen listen if if you are the personality that's going to read all the cosmere you're the person Personality who's uh, going to care about how pentagons click together? You on know, the right? It, that's, you're right. You're right. That's. <laughs> I mean, are, that is the case the for the sample high. size of three. So, like, that's that's <laughs> enough of a sample size to extrapolate to the entire Cosmere fandom, Clearly. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So my my um, interpretation of it was is that like the planet is basically a dodecahedron that's like bulgy, if that uh, makes okay. sense, I because a dodecahedron would have twelve five. Like, I think that's yeah. that's what that's what Brandon's going for here. That that makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah. But it yeah. doesn't, because how do you keep how do you, the, how moons the moons there? Well, yeah. like, I think, like, it just I think, wouldn't. Like, it would do yeah. anything well, but stay there. I mean, so, well, this kind of goes into a question you have on the outline here, which is, well, I'll, I'll word it the way you did. What's going on here? Why? What's going on? Who made it like this? <laughs> Who made it like so, this? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why That's this? the thing. <laughs> like, if we if we start with the assumption that somebody made it like this, which well, seems I think you like a given to, to me, yeah, right? then I guess weird. they could make it however the hell they want, right? You could put you could put rocket engines on the moons well, and just hold them there. But that's like, there's like degrees of like, you could put it in a way that's at least sort of stable over time which would be like the line around the equator or something yeah but like the dodecahedron requires like almost a trip like i mean imagine like standing on that moon and like whatever rocket booster is like holding in place is firing all the time like i mean obviously it's probably not a real rocket booster but like you get what i mean like it's that requires like a constant active force to keep it there as opposed to like so you put it there and it mostly stays put basically the way it would have to work is because so like the way orbits work is like it's orbiting around a planet center of mass. Yeah. So if we ignore that and instead make uh like assume that the moons are orbiting around the axis of the planet, then you can have a geosynchronous then orbit at work, any yeah. latitude. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Um so wait, wait a minute. No. Wait. I'm if you're assuming that they're orbiting like in a in a direction that's not parallel to the equator, is that what we're talking about? 
No, they would be orbiting parallel to the equator, but they're orbiting around the axis of the planet's rotation and not its center of mass. Nick is, I think, suggesting some like surge of uh, gravitation shenanigans. Uh, it would, it like, would be like shardic intervention. Yeah. That would be yeah. the way to okay. make this work with yeah. real world physics. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining it's like what windrunners do, but on like a planetary scale. Like, yeah. Just take because what they do is they like repoint the gravitational connection to the planet in a different direction. Yeah. And like they could just like yeah they could like slide that point along like a line that passes that's an interesting along thought. the yeah. axis pull the and pull, like yeah yeah and like forces it to orbit in like a very unusual way. That and then the the other interesting, interesting. The, the other interesting thing is depending on how the planet is oriented, there could be seas that are the exact top and bottom. So like if the axis of the planet was going through a face. I'm holding a dodecahedron in my hand right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if if the axis of the planet was going through the face of one side and out the other, that that means that there would be a moon directly over each pole. Yeah. Uh, but if it was oriented where, like, the pole is where three seas come to meet, then that wouldn't be the case, which would make the most sense to me because, like, there's like no way to have a geosynchronous orbit where like it's not actually rotating. It's not orbiting. It's just, yeah. you know, it just like hang rotating yeah. above and below the planet. Um, yeah. yeah we're, I think we're getting lost in the sauce on the physics. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, For the record, none of us, none of us know what the hell we're talking about. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're not, we're not physicists or anything. No. So yeah, th- like I'm sure there are, there are other nerd, people that can but, speculate on this yeah. more intelligently yeah. Than, yeah. than we could. But it's interesting <laughs> to illuminate some of the options. Uh-huh. And it's interesting yeah, to yeah, note yeah. that I don't think the story is super clear on how this works. Probably intentionally right yeah i'm pretty sure <laughs> sanderson and whoever he's working oh, with on this stuff fact they're figuring they it gotta out. figure it out yeah because yeah. sanderson even talked about like he had to like you know get his physicists and uh-huh. <laughs> work it especially all out. for the the seethe and the fluidization of the spores yeah, yeah. which yeah. is very cool which is a very cool <laughs> there's idea, so yeah. few authors that would bother to actually make that make sense you know yeah that is just like a cool thing about the way mm-hmm. he writes and it leads to like interesting stuff, like when it goes still. Yeah. Yes. Very, very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if we? What if we talk about the the why specifically for a minute when it when it comes to the moons? Oh yeah. Um, what's going on here and why? Um, I I it feels to me like if somebody had wanted to just like set up a farming world that farms these spores. Oh, this is pretty much how they would do this it. This is how you do it. Yeah. 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 Huh. So like that's definitely like my best guess is that somebody with a with a lot of power, like either a shard mm-hmm. or somebody who has access to a lot of investiture and technology um, created, maybe didn't create the planet. Maybe the planet was already there, but probably put the moons where they are. Like threw together like an aether farm. Yeah, and and decided that they're gonna you know either sell or use these spores. Yeah, if this that is one of Kelsier's harebrained schemes, I swear to God, <laughs> you know it could be. Yeah, I or, mean or we like we are kind of in uh, consensus that like this does take place pretty late in the Cosmere timeline, yeah. so yeah. it does stand to reason that Lumar, as it exists now, um, does not exist in the like when Stormlight is happening in like the earlier eras That's of Mistborn. Interesting thought. Well, I think 
that would be my guess. Um, but it's it's possible the planet is there in its current form, and just this story hasn't happened yet. You know, right. even earlier in the Cosmere. Yeah. I guess I had assumed that like the moons and stuff had been here for a long, long time. But I guess it could be a newer thing. I it mean, is, like, like the characters just aren't really like processing it that way in the story. Yeah, I mean, like it seems to be that like the way things are on this planet is at least like the way they have been for as long as any characters on the planet can remember sure. and like yeah. generations before. But like that doesn't mean that it was like this a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is all very reasonable time frame in the grand yeah. scheme of the Cosmere. Um, actually. I should bring up like the Iriali stuff. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that feels like it might. Because I definitely had the impression that the Iriali would have come through here before coming to Roshar. That was my initial thought, but I'm not so but sure maybe anymore. It's after? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how like, long. Huh. To me, that like that uh, like my guesses about that changed with my changing understanding of when this story is, is happening in the Cosmere. Cause like when, like back when I first started reading it and really I'm talking mm-hmm. about like when, when they released the preview chapters yeah, months ago, yeah. um, that had been my thought as well, that probably the Iriali were here before Roshar. Mm-hmm. But, but now that we know the story takes, takes place so much later and, and it doesn't seem like the Iriali have been gone for that long just because there are like a lot of cultural memories of them still. Yeah. Um, that makes me think yeah. that probably the Iriali were here after Roshar. And that makes me a little worried uh, about what's going to happen in the next Stormlight book, because, Uh, like, we've already kind of, like, uh, theorized, like, Horn Eaters, uh, like, fled the planet. Yeah. Because that's, like, who Milan was going to help at the end of Mm -hmm. uh, The Lost Metal. Um, But it makes me wonder if maybe other peoples like the Ariali are leaving the planet, fleeing whatever conflict is going down with... Yeah. Terra Odium. <laughs> yeah. Let me, and it like, may... I was going to, like, lay out, like, a case for why I still think it might be, like, prior to Rishar. Sure. Yeah, because I do think this takes place late Cosmere, but I think that the actual space between Stormlight Archive and late Cosmere might be less than I think you guys are giving it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, because I okay. think that... Because we know that, like, Stormlight Archive is roughly contemporaneous with, like, Wax and Wayne. Right. right? And... Where they are right now is equivalent to, like, say, like, 1900. Um, mm-hmm. And that means that, like, suppose that, like, it means that, like, Cosmere Endgame, like, could easily only be a couple hundred years away from, like, Stormlight Archive. And to mm-hmm. me, that doesn't quite give enough time for the Iriali to, like, leave Roshar, come to Lumar, leave Lumar, and, like, become, like, a, like weird legend people talk about. Yeah, I guess that's that makes sense. That's fair. But I, I think that 200-year time frame is, like, the extreme low projection. Oh, it's really? Like it, it's not impossible. See, I think like, Brandon's going to be compressing this down as we go. See, I, I, don't think, I don't think the timeline... To me, like, the likeliest timeline is maybe on the, on the scale of 500 to 1,000 years. Oh, wow, like, okay. That's more like, in line with what I was thinking, too, but... but and that's not that different from 200, you know? It's just, like... It, yeah. A, you know, two well, to like, five times. Wow. I guess like, and, and I and we're not a hundred percent sure what the time jump is going to be between Mistborn Era two and Mistborn Era three, but like the time jump between one and two is two hundred years. Yeah, I think three hundred years. Some yeah, number of hundred of years in that, in that <laughs> scope. Yeah, I guess I've been assuming that the timeline like 
as compressing as we go. Because I've been figuring that the next era, which is supposed to be like 70s, 80s, was only going to be about, you know, 70 or 80 years. Right. Off. Yeah. And that then was I was my... figuring yeah. that like the next era would maybe only be like a generation or two after that. Because I've been assuming that like basically like Skadrian space travel is going to happen like pretty fast once they get it sorted yeah, yeah. i mean my yeah. my thought on that though is and i mean it's like the the existence of all these different investiture fueled magic systems will make a difference but yeah like um if i i so like using real world time scales doesn't necessarily apply um but like if we have like the 80s and then like Roshar and space travel like it's still a big jump to go from that to using space travel to world hop like you know what I mean like uh, making that going from like we're we're sending ships into uh, Skadrian orbit um, and then going to we're flying ships to Roshar uh, is a pretty pretty, that's a jump that's a jump yeah yeah you're right it could be longer than I'm thinking so, sure. but the existence of like you know Alamancy and Farrakhemi and fucking you know all 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 the magic systems may make uh, advancing to that level way more achievable faster than it yeah. would be in a quote unquote realistic time frame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my guess is that they're going to actually have an easier time figuring out faster than the light than like putting a ship into orbit if that makes sense like i think that there's going to be like some weird allomancy hack that like makes faster than light not that big a deal yep if you can just I, like get far enough away from a planet or something mm-hmm. I, I think, it might be i, I just... like mostly agree with you there that okay. like i think like fast and light or at least near light speed i'm not i'm not sure it's going to be faster or just near but okay. either way um i still think there's going to be some period of time there and probably we'll we'll get at least one or two stories set in that period of time when there is space travel, but it's similar to like the space travel we have in the real okay. world today. I can see that. Um, let's talk about. Well, actually, how far along are we now? We're about an hour in. Yeah, we're about an hour in. Actually, I um, have a I have a topic to introduce that's okay. that ties into something we were just talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, the sorceress. Um, yeah pronunciation here it's r-i-i-n-a re-raina raina raina okay um so that so that is definitely a member of the irie oh i okay. see here nick yep. did you add nick, this i, did, that I one? added this yeah Got okay it. yeah yeah, I, yeah I had I, it. I, I, is that someone that we've actually met yeah she's in secret history she's, she's one of the she's uh, one of she's the irie named in secret history okay right. okay so she's definitely one of the irie yeah, yeah. yeah. assuming the irie still exists yeah, she. That, yeah, that's a fair question. She is, or at one time was, <laughs> yeah, okay, a member of the Irie. Yeah, and I then, hadn't like cross referenced that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then my so I, so I think that makes the Irie a prime candidate for whoever designed the world this way. Um, Nick, you'd mentioned that like oh, this yeah. could be one of Kelsier's shenanigans, which I think is still possible. Um, but I, I would throw the Irie out there as a as a pretty prime candidate for yeah. who whoever kind of fucked up this world this see, specific way. And, and, yeah. Well, see, here's the thing, though, is that, like, 
I mean, the Irie are Elantrians, and who, which are very powerful. Um, so, I mean, it, I guess it does stand to reason they could do something like this. But this still seems like a scale that would be like shardic in nature like i joked that this is like could be one of kelsey's shenanigans i don't actually believe that mm. um it feels it, to unless... be out of scope for kelsey yes for sure um, out of scope or just out of character out of scope like i just don't wow i mean like i just don't I mean, think kelsey is gonna get that potent yeah i mean a lot of time has passed so i guess anything is possible but i yeah That's i agree thing. with we, you tom like, i think it's a little little much for what kelsey is going to be able to do Oh my god, my cat is crawling all over the keyboard. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's why it says back tick um, eleven, back tick, back tick. Yep, that uh <laughs> thanks for that contribution, cat. <laughs> um what was I gonna say? I swear I had I had something lined up. Oh yeah. Um so we see an Elantrian who is using all kinds of tech here. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, she has awakened technology. Um, she's using Scadrian tech, presumably, presumably. for the spaceship. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless they um, do something things. similar on Elantris just on their yeah. own. She has yeah. an army on of battle cell, droids. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that one's weird. That's got to so be I awakening. Roger, Roger. Predictive circuits <laughs> shit, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we're definitely, like, moving to a point where, um, definitely, like, being an Elantrian, for instance, or just, like, having access to investiture from your home world is still a big deal. Mm-hmm. But then the truly powerful people are going to be like an entire – well, they're going to be all like Hoyd kind of where yeah. they've collected investiture from a variety of sources. And that just opens up a realm of possibilities that like – I don't know. It's it's not that unlikely to me that somebody like Kelsier or just an individual Elantrian or the Irie acting together, I think they could do work on this scale. They to me, could it feels like the Irie like working together might be able to – well, but how is that different of... from the ghost bloods working together? Like, I think the ghost bloods are going to be just okay. as powerful, you think they're gonna be... if not yeah. more than the Irie. I-, I guess I've been assuming that like the ghost bloods are going to stay a little scrappier than that. Um, okay, just like just like kind of on a narrative level, just because I think it is like we're supposed to kind of relate to the ghost bloods more than the Irie. Hmm. And I think that like making sure. the ghost bloods this powerful kind of like messes with that a little bit whereas the irie i think brandon can like make ridiculous because they're like always a little antagonistic and annoying okay but i think that like that, the that ghost bloods are gonna stay a little scrappier mm-hmm. that's just my just once again pure vibes not really based on anything in world just kind of from a storytelling sense it just feels to me more like you'd want the ghost bloods to stay like a little weaker a little scrappier a little like more trying to get along in the world than like reshaping planets at their whim I, I kind of think we're going to – well, I think – well, there are a lot of different narratives that could make sense uh, you know, from this, this point. And to me, a lot of them at some point in the timeline have a Ghost Bloods organization that is this powerful. Okay. That doesn't preclude yeah. that there's like a long period of storytelling when the Ghost Bloods are much scrappier. That's true. Um, but to me, it, it still seems like a – a possibility that somebody like Kelsier or the Irie or any number of other organizations or people we've already met could gain enough power at some point along the timeline. Yeah. To uh to okay. make this possible. Yeah. And I guess maybe like a sort of recurring like 
vibes difference is i guess like i still am in, have internalized like just a shorter timeline than i think you guys have uh, yeah yeah it, it, it just makes it. it so like my intuitions just line up different where it's like i'm still assuming that like even late cosmere is like not more than like a couple hundred years away from like where we are right now whereas I that think really you get, is yeah. like i see that as a distinct possibility that it's only a okay. couple hundred years but it can't be less than that right mm-hmm. like at least not much less than that yeah so like that has to be seen as an extreme for me, like on okay. on the range of possibilities. Yeah, I guess like what I've been assuming is that Brandon will go as fast as he like plausibly can with the timeline. Mm, that basically, if it's possible to compress it to a certain amount, he's going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's like been my assumption. Maybe that's a bad assumption. It's not really based on anything, but just like I don't know. I guess I just based on that's what I would have. Do. He could have. Um, reduced the gap between Mistborn's era one and two. Like that didn't have to be three hundred years. That could have been fifty to a hundred years, right? Well, I think he intentionally like the part of the goal of what he was planning to do with the multiple eras of the Mistborn series was like where the first trilogy was the foundation of the in-world mythology. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. like for something to become legend and mythology, mm-hmm. like there is like there kind of a be. prerequisite amount of time that needs to yeah. pass. Yeah. Yeah. But even well, then, I, guess... I think he compressed it as tight as he could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was like shocked. I remember when I first read like how little time had passed. Mm-hmm. Cause I would like, you'd expect like a typical like fantasy author to be like, this is, 2000 years later or something but no he right. like is like a few hundred years like he really had like squeeze it down as tight as he can manage i think and like have mm. it still feel plausible that's fair yeah um, yeah that makes sense so that's like my gut um but once again very possible i'm wrong yeah um and probably not something we need to keep coming back sure. and talking about but just yeah, like sure. I, well i realize like that's why like my intuition on it is so different is because i'm assuming shorter timelines so i'm assuming that like ghost bloods now can't have been very powerful for very long. Okay. Uh huh. I I just had a thought that might um might either reinforce uh the our ideas on where uh, trust takes place in the timeline. And I'm going to okay. be a little bit vague because I don't want to spoil what we know about future secret projects. Ah. Uh, okay. Um, but I will point out that uh, design is not in this or nor mentioned at all. Uh, Hoyt's, that is Hoyt's correct. You are correct. Yes. Huh. Yeah, that could mean any number of different things. Right. And you're right. There's only so much we can talk about right now. Right. If we're yeah. not spoiling. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, I'm sure we'll circle back on this. Yeah. Yeah. Later. <laughs> but yeah, design is not mentioned at all. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know yeah. either. I uh, I have some thoughts, but I I can't get into it now. Um, okay. This is this might be something we'll have to talk about after future secret yeah. projects come out. Okay, that's so probably a we'll good. Put a, cool we'll put spot a pin to, in that. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that. That's probably yeah. a good place to pin the episode as a whole. <laughs> yeah, I think it's on so. that little well, that food little for spot. thought. If you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, but. Uh, audience thank you for listening if you made it this far um you had to deal with some pentagon tiling concerns that may or may not have been of interest (laughs) (laughs) um and thank you uh nick and mike for chatting with me about this book and the cosmic and everything else sure 
We'll just have to yeah. spin off uh, you, an even more niche version of this podcast, just called Cosmere Topology. <laughs> Not even that. It's just it's just we take different shapes and tile them and tell you what they look like. I got the name, guys. It's, okay. It's Tressellations. Boom. All right. Bye, everyone. We're not going to be that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Back on Twirl, I was a nobody. I got teleported out here, and here I'm something. I'm somebody. The Voidfarer begins maneuvering towards this 200-meter-long space whale. The handle one of these, you need grit. Is that something you have? I'm a tiny little guy. Of course I got grit. If you tried anything, it would end very poorly for you. This alithid dreadnought warps away, accelerating to spell jamming speed as quickly as they arrive. Who the fuck? <laughs> what am I trying to say here, Ravnus? That we're crew. I like that. We're crew. That is a natural one. <sighs> you send yourself sailing out the side of the ship, untethered. Oh. I'm putting a python into the ground. I'm wrapping my rope around it, but I'm jumping into the gravity well. <laughs> a gnome, a halfling, and a half-orc walk into a bar. I forget the middle part, but the punchline is feathers everywhere, and that's not my peanut butter. I cast Tasha's hideous laughter. Climb aboard for Tales of the Voidfarer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, my consequences have actions. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait, way wait. Around. projectderailed.com